This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. From Gimlet Media, this is The Pitch. I'm Josh Muccio. A few weeks ago, the team and I packed our bags, mostly with podcasting odds and ends, microphones and cables, the laugh track I used to get pumped up before the big day, and some Mentos to keep bad breath at bay. Where were we headed with our Mentos and microphones? To Philadelphia, of course, for our live show. Hello! Things turned out even better than we imagined. In front of a packed house, me and two of the investors heard pitches from three founders. We laughed, we cringed, our investors fought a little. Overall, it was a great time. Maybe you can catch the next one. I'm just messing. We're totally going to play the live show for you. This is the Pitch Live Competition, hosted at the Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania. Enjoy the show. Now, these entrepreneurs are really early on in their startup journey, and the winner of tonight's competition will get a chance to pitch at a future taping for the show. Let's get this party started. All right. I'd like to welcome our first investor, a serial entrepreneur who, <laughs> who's also an angel investor and now is a partner at Structure Capital where they've invested 98 million in high-profile startups like Uber. Please welcome Jillian Manis. Welcome, Jillian. Thanks Thank for being you, here. Thank you, Josh. And our second investor was also a serial entrepreneur, building companies that have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. And a little known fact, he's also a graduate of the Wharton School in the great class of 1988. Please welcome, give it up for Phil Nadell. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Yeah, this it, is good. It's so nice to be back at Wharton at this time of year when I don't have to worry about final exams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shall we get started? Let's do it. Let's rock. All right. Our first founder is a Drexel University grad who thinks she's built something that will really help college students land a job out of college, which should be relevant to the undergrads in the room. Please welcome Jessica Sarchijan with Rezio. Thank you, guys. Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. My name is Jessica Sarkeesian, founder and CEO of Rezio. I want everyone in the room to think of a time you, when you were an undergraduate, whether that's today or 20 years ago. You had a plan, right? Who's helping you with that plan? Today? Career Service Department's national average is one career advisor for 3,000 students. Let me repeat that for you guys. There's one career advisor managing 3,000 students 
They are unable to give personalized advice to every single student that walks in their door or that they, they manage. And that's where Resio comes in. Resio helps students become career ready through a skills development platform. The way it works is a student signs on to Resio, they set their goals of what they want to do, whether again, that's to go into the army, start your own company, or go into corporate America. And then we tell them what they need to do in order to accomplish that goal, whether that's internships, uh, finding a mentor, whatever it is, Resio supports a student through that process, and we help the career service advisors manage the surplus of students they have. Right now, we're looking to enter the market of career service departments so that we can help advisors help students become career ready. We estimated this market at $1.2 billion today. We're starting our first round of investment, and we're looking for your support through it. Thank you, guys. Nice job, Jessica. So what is the revenue model? So currently we're testing the revenue model. We're starting with career service departments, but we do have the opportunity in different verticals on going to maybe students individually or their parents or things like that. But our revenue model today is charging um, universities. Tell me about the competitive landscape. So the competitive landscape within career service departments, there's a couple of them. You have Handshake, which has been um, the one notoriously taking over. But a lot of our competition focuses less on the development of a student and connecting them with the employers. So what Resio does is we're the step before most of our competition, and we support them through the next stage like Handshake um, and LinkedIn even. Handshake is our biggest one. You have VMock, other resume builder ones, and then one-off coaching. Um, what we do is we have a platform that is able to manage, you know, a surplus of students. So tell me about your team. So our team is me, um, the founder, and I graduated from Drexel University, actually started a similar business to this and failed it. Um, and What then was the business? It was VResio and it was video resumes. So we did video resumes and then made this huge pivot into where we are today. What did you learn from that failure? I learned scale quickly. Um, understand your user and your customer is the most important thing you could do and really um, entering the market and don't be too early into market, which is something I'm still learning today is make sure the idea is fully fleshed out. And then when you go and approach your potential customer, make sure you have all the answers and you're ready for, for that time. So which customers, potential customers have you approached with this? So we've been working with Drexel because I am out of their incubator. We went over to Jefferson. We might've been a little too early with that, but we still do have the relationship. And now we're taking a step back to finalize the product before we go forward. I realize that the budgets of universities are really constrained. So how do you prove, what data do you have to support the success and the impact what data do you have to support that and, and justify the cost? So the justifying of the cost is going to take us four years of data to collect because we're going to have to see a student through their life cycle starting mm-hmm. their freshman year to okay. graduation. Although Resio does work for students coming into their junior, senior year, we want to onboard them their freshman year because, again, awareness is the biggest key. Absolutely. Um, so it will take us four years to collect that data, seeing if that actually translates to actually them getting a job. Then you could look at school rankings. You can look at um, if a student gets higher paying jobs who's used Resio versus not using Resio. So those are the data we're going to look at four years post. So whose pain point are you solving? Is it the career guidance office or is it the student? So that's 
the pain point we're solving by entering the career service market is the career service department. But as we continue to look at the landscape, we're finding we want to solve more of the student's problem. The problem is a student, freshman student who's 18 years old, isn't aware that's that right. it's a problem. That's my concern yeah. is that the student coming in as a freshman doesn't know that isn't they're aware. they are or going to be deficient in certain skills. Yes. And along the same lines, with regard to the career office, you're selling to them, but don't you think that they could perceive you as a threat to them? I don't think so, because I think the way it works now, I mean, for them to do what Rezio can do, they would have to hire on average 35 more advisors, right? So it would cost them over a million dollars to to manage what Rezio could do for them. You do need that personalized advice. So that's when the career advisor comes in and you do need that personal one-on-one connection. We're just helping the advisor um, with the first four meetings, have it on the platform of Rezio, and then maybe the fifth meeting you would have with your career advisor is more that personalized connection. Are you able to, or are you going to sort of open this up and create some sort of incentivization, right? Some way to get them on board. How are you opening up that? So uh, we found success partnering with specifically sororities and fraternities. Excellent. um, Because they have a department of their club organization that focuses specifically on career development. We are looking at other clubs and organizations, but we found the most success within um, that Do you department. have to incentivize them or we've been giving it to them for free? It. Yeah, we've been giving them to free for free. I've been presenting at um, their chapter meetings, and then we've had around like fifty plus percent come into the second meeting to actually onboard. Oh, to that's Rezio. very good. Yeah, that's super good. Jessica, what stage do you anticipate working with partnering with corporations and trying to engage them in the process? Employers. Yeah, I don't see that um, entering Resio's scope in for the next like three to five years. Um, I want to really, again, get this data set proven, make sure that the students are getting the skills they need and we're doing the jo- the proper job in order to give them to them. And then we want to uh, enter the next phase. All right. So one That's more question. Time. Wait, one, one question. <laughs> you how be much are you raising? How much are you raising? Uh, $200,000. Okay. And how are you deploying it? Uh, on a convertible note. Is how? It, what is it being how used you, for? How are you uh, using what, it? Are, what are you using it? We're using it to get proof of market, so mostly marketing in over the next 18 months. Any more higher on the engineering side, on the develop side? We're looking to get a front-end developer, so our developer is mostly on the back-end artificial intelligence aspect. That's of it. it. That's well, it. less than a minute. There you go. Boom. Thank, Thank you, you Jessica. Thank you. When we come back, one founder gets a tiny bit impatient with our investors. What's the company name? Strella Biotech. So it's like Stella, but with an R. Duh. <laughs> I like your moxie. Is she, Go for it. Is she dissing me already? What's going on? <laughs> I like Bad her Bad way to start a pitch. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget 
That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to The Pitch Live from the Wharton School. Founder number two is just about to take the stage. Our next founder thinks that in a polarized world, his startup can help bridge some of those gaps. Please help me in welcoming Munir Pawtuck and his startup, Swirl. Hi there. Hi. Hi. My name is Munir Pawtuck, and I'm the founder and CEO of Swirl. Employee turnover is a $160 billion problem. CEOs are grappling with this, and they realize that they need to successfully attract and retain diverse talent in order to compete in today's market. It's the fact that diverse and inclusive organizations are two times more likely to meet or exceed their financial targets. They're six times more likely to be innovative and agile, and eight times more likely to achieve better business outcomes. So how does a company become more inclusive? The answer lies in relationships between people, and that's where Swirl comes in. Companies who use Swirl grow inclusion by helping their employees build relationships across differences with their colleagues. With the Swirl app, each employee creates their profile by answering questions about their identity and their interests, and Swirl matches and introduces them to a new colleague every other week based on their similarities and their differences. With our content and coaching, each employee becomes better at building relationships naturally over time. And by building their personal network with the Swirl app, they're able to develop a new sense of community and belonging at work. Swirl's already proven value to users in our private beta, and I look forward to your support to helping take Swirl to the next level. Thank you. Awesome. So, so start with... When I think about the, the experience that you described for an employee, if I were in that position and getting matched up with someone every other week, as you said, it feels to me like it would be a little forced, like artificial and unnatural as a way to meet someone. But don't they Can, opt in, Phil? They opt in. You opt in. Right? Absolutely. Sure. It's, it's, but, it's, but just the, you, I, the could, idea... It still might be the email you just don't want to get. It's yeah, the yeah, idea like, that, uh, like, I'm going to be Wait a second. Up. Hold on. But I'm thinking that you're going to be able to temper this. In other words, I want to get a match every month, or I want to get a match every week. So you can you, sort of... It's kind of like, you know... You know, it's Tinder, funny. I was really but, interested in you know, his answer more so <laughs> than yours. Not Maybe you should start is. the... Co- so no, tell Wayne, yeah, you yeah, tell us. There's your co-founder. Yeah. Yeah. She's available. Go ahead. I mean, certainly there's a, there's a cadence to how often you should be introduced to someone. Um, the reason we're going with two weeks right now, that's, that's our baseline. I mean, you can change that based on preferences, um, or you can snooze that for but some it's not, time. It's if you're not, not the around. time period that I was concerned about. It's the idea of, of being sort of forced together. I know you're opting in, but being put together with someone you don't know, a stranger, and then having what could be an awkward conversation. I want to understand. Yeah, so, sh- so I can talk to that a little bit. You're shushing me, really? I want to understand how he sees okay, it, not fine. you. I'll tell you how I see it afterwards. Go. <laughs> sure, maybe I'll start. And you yeah, go. go for it. <laughs> so, so the idea is not to just make a cold introduction and say, go talk. The idea is 
through your profile creation, we, we understand more about you and what your goals are and sort of what your background is. And we match you based on having something in common, but also having something different with, with the person you match with. And we're doing a, more of a warm introduction where the introduction message details some information of why you matched, and we give you some, uh, I guess, prompts to start a discussion. And the idea is where you can start with just grabbing coffee and taking 10 or 15 minutes to get to know each other a little bit. It doesn't have to be a whole long formal thing. So how do the employers then communicate to their employees that go do this? So our, our app is built to be distributed through Slack at, at the onset. The idea is to be able to build into a communication tool that already exists. So it's not something new that you have to push someone to learn and do. I think employers want this because it can help them achieve some of their goals. I think employees want this because it's really tough, especially as someone new to a company or someone maybe coming out of school and starting at a new place, to approach all sorts of individuals and start to build relationships at work. And that's really what's needed to create that sense of belonging, to get on that project that you want to get on, to get that promotion that you're, you're thinking about. Companies want this to improve the workplace, people want this so that they can build the relationships to advance their career. So how does um, <clears throat> encouraging communication among employees that are existing employees help build a more inclusive work workplace? In other words, you're not, you're not bringing in new uh, diverse people, you're just increasing communications within the workforce. Sure. So um, we're not bringing in new diverse people yet. That's in the vision for the future. Well, tell us about that vision quickly. Sure. Um, so <laughs> the focus today is on inclusion because many companies do have efforts around diversity and bringing in diverse candidates, but where they fail is the inclusion component. For example, women are two times more likely to leave their job in the first year than men. People of color are three and a half times more likely to leave their job within the first year than their white counterparts. And so... Why? Why are they leaving? Because they don't feel included. The biggest Again, I'm asking him. Oh, really? You have to ask that? Why don't they feel? Because they don't feel included. They don't feel included. They don't... See? It's the, <laughs> cheating. You told them the answer. Well, well, the biggest stated reason okay. is not so, having that sense of belonging at, at their workplace. And there okay. are many reasons for that, but culture is central to it. So I'm trying to understand what proof point you have that employers are willing to pay for this solution. So the metric we're targeting is retention. And the goal is to be able to, over the course of time, we can survey and understand workplace satisfaction and perspectives on culture, but the ultimate goal is to improve retention. And that's worth a lot of money to employers. Okay, take, tell us about the unit economics. What are you looking at? You're in beta right now, right? Yeah, we're in beta right now. With, um, with a partner, with a... Uh, with a with a self-developed community, okay. um, and we're we're in the works with three companies to pilot at their organization right now. It seems it seems like um, the solution that you're proposing would make a lot of sense for employees who are extroverted by nature, right, and willing to meet uh, other people. But I wonder if you know employees, people who are more introverted, coders, you know, stereotypically are introverts, podcasters. Podcasters, definitely. Well, well uh, hosts, how they would uh, react to something like this. Yeah, so I mean, introverts also need to meet people and want to meet people. It's just they don't get their energy from constantly meeting people. 
And so it's not a turnoff, especially if, if we're giving a, a warm, informed introduction where an introvert can prepare for a conversation before going in. It doesn't draw as much energy from them to have that conversation, and it's actually constructive. One last question. Make it an important one. <laughs> Not all at once. Wow, that's how I what get you What keeps you up to... at night? Who's the competition? <laughs> <laughs> I said it first. Okay, go. You um, can do both. Yeah, so competition. Um, there's an app for Slack called Donut that does pairing based on the least communication that happens between two people. Um, there's not a diversity component to it. Um, there's Bonusly, which is an app that um, is about recognition. Um, but again, not a, not a diversity component to it. Um, what keeps me up at night is I don't know anyone that's doing the exact same thing that we are, but I'm concerned that someone will. And I want to be sort of that first to market and be able to launch quickly so that I can um, start to capture market share and solve the problem and show impact and, and get the data to, to prove this out. All right. Excellent. That's Thank it. You. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Manir. Finally, we have a startup on its home turf. The next founder is an undergraduate here at the University of Pennsylvania. She's hoping to reduce food waste and says she has the technology to do it. Please welcome Catherine Sizov as she pitches Strella. Hi, everybody. Hello. What's the company name? Strella Biotech. So it's like Stella, but with an R. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I like your moxie. Is she, Go for it. Is she dissing me already? What's going on? <laughs> I like Bad her way already. to start a pitch. <laughs> Go for it. So actually, I'd like to start my pitch by asking everyone in this room a question, which is, how old do you think an apple in a grocery store is? Too old. What are, Two weeks. Okay. Do you have... No clue. A month. So actually, an older apple in a grocery store can be eight months to a year oh, and a half what? old. What? Yeah, it's either freaky or cool, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so <laughs> the reason um, fruits, apples and other fruits are so old is because they're stored for a really long time in packing facilities. So a typical packing facility contains hundreds of these storage rooms, and inside each storage room are millions of apples. And there's a problem with this, because the packer doesn't really have any data about where his ripest produce is. And he doesn't have this data because the volume is so large, and these rooms are hermetically sealed. So there's no oxygen in the room, and the room is cold and dark. So the packer needs to make a random decision as to which room to unpack first. Sometimes he'll open a room and the fruit inside is underripe. Sometimes the fruit is too ripe. And the worst case scenario, the fruit inside has completely turned to mush and spoiled. And in this case, one spoiled room is a million dollars worth of loss, which to me is a pretty bad day. <laughs> so what I'm a student at Penn and I'm a biologist. So I was thinking, well, why not use biology and technology to solve this problem? So I created Strella Biotech. So we create biosensors that are installed in these storage rooms that monitor apples as they ripen. 
And this is coupled with a user interface that allows the packer to always know where their underripe, maturing, and ready produce is. So as a result, we're not only saving our clients money, but we're also reducing global food waste from the supply chain. So I'd be happy to hear questions and recommendations from you. So the packers currently don't have any solution for knowing when or which rooms contain the ripest fruit? So there's a, there's a few current solutions and they all have issues. So the first solution is quality control testing. So in this uh, solution, what a packer does is they'll open the room really quickly and then they'll grab an apple out of the storage room and then test it for quality control. The problem is if you take one apple out of a million, you're getting no statistical significance. And that doesn't really prevent any of those nasty surprises that cause food waste. Another thing that uh, a lot of packers do is chemical treatments. So they put chemical sprays on fruit that makes it last for a super, super long time. But the problem is that these treatments don't qualify for organics certifications. And because there's been a lot of consumer trends moving towards organics, that's not really a viable solution. When so they put, on. Well, one second, when they put, the, just to follow up, when they put the fruit into, the apples, into a storage room, why aren't they just marking down what date they're putting it in and you know well, then always drawing from the oldest ones? So it's it's not always that simple. So um, we've kind of all heard the adage like one bad apple spoils the bunch. So if you have one fruit that was picked way later or it's more ripe than all the other fruits, it's going to signal to all the other fruits to ripen. So like if you put an unripe banana next to a ripe one, you probably notice that it ripens a lot faster than if it was by itself. And this is because fruits communicate their ripeness to each other. So if you have one apple in that entire room that's overripe, then it's going to trigger this cascade to all the other fruits. I so thought, that's I, heard, I, thought I heard the bananas talking to each other at night. <laughs> yeah. Now that's just you, Phil. I didn't say that. <laughs> wow. Thought so. So um, there are about five different types of um, this testing uh, that is actually that I'm aware of in terms of the sensors. So my question for you is, what's your differentiator? Yeah, so the most traditional ones come out of Finland. And their issue is uh, how specific they are. It's not nearly uh, sensitive enough to really produce data. Okay, so how is yours? What is yours? Yours has larger range. Is that yeah. what you're so, saying? So more accuracy. Yeah, so we're more accurate. So we sense on the sensitivity of gas chromatography, which right. is by far the gold standard. Right. So we sense in terms of gas chromatography on a single part per million, mm -hmm. but we do it in-house and we do it for a large volume of fruit. And nobody else does this? Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, that, why can't someone else yeah, do it? Why, can't why is this defensible? Right. Well, so RIP is what's defensible. So our company is based around our technology. So we filed uh, several patents uh, in order to protect our IP, and we've retained this IP in-house, even though I'm a pet student. Did you <laughs> develop it? The uh, yes, sir. Did you develop the IP? Uh, yeah, so I developed the IP individually. I would, like, not within pen. <laughs> so there's also... I, I have to spell legally. Yeah. <laughs> there, See that? Wow. Uh, there's also something called a bioelectronic nose that's out of South Korea that's based on exactly the same science, just so you know. So you might want to look into that. So so one, one so, thing uh, that I would like to differentiate is that the majority of ethylene sensors are uh, um, 
using man-made compounds. And man-made compounds typically can't bind with the affinity necessary right. to bind ethylene. So the way that we counteracted that is by using a mechanism found in fruits. So going back to the talking banana, bananas, for example, can sense really well uh, how much ethylene the guy next to him is outputting. So we've taken that mechanism from a fruit and kind of hacked it and put it into a sensor. And so that's what's novel about our technology. We're essentially using the exact mechanism that a fruit uses to sense and signal ripeness to measure ethylene. Okay, so let's talk about the mechanism. Let's talk about the fabrication sure. of the mechanism and the unit cost of the mechanism yes. and where it's being produced and the scalability. Sure, absolutely. So our COGS currently is just over $100. And For a sensor? Yes, What's the lifetime of that, of the sensor? Um, so it's one year. So every season, the packer installs sensors in their storage rooms. And then at the end of the season, we dispose of them and install new ones for the coming season. So how many sensors per storage room? So it would be a minimum of four sensors per storage room. However, we've recently started trials in Washington State with two of the largest Apple packers. And, and they've actually requested slightly higher resolution. So if we wanted high resolution data, we would put in... Um, upwards of 16 sensors per storage room. And what's the cost of these? $1,000 per sensor. Wait, so it's $1,000 cost, your cost? to? No, no, no. My cost is 100 right, right. It right. costs 1000 Good. So the okay. COGS is 100 Right. And you're selling yeah, yeah, it for 1000 yeah, 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 Got yeah, yeah. it. Right. <laughs> and where is it being manufactured? I make them with my two other team members right now. Um, so I do all the biological component uh, manufacturing, and then I have a master's student in electrical engineering on my team, and he does the electronic assembly. Uh, and with all these other sensors that Jillian mentioned on the market, um, why, how do you know that the, the, the packers want this and have a need for this? What evidence do you have that the sensors on the market are somehow insufficient? Because I've talked to every single one of them. Um, I've spent the last like six months going uh, to every state that produces apples and speaking with every farmer that produces more than 100 apples a year um, and ask them about what problems they have, what they'd like to see um, in the future in regards to technology. And time and time again, they've said, like, we just don't have any solutions. The, for this. the sensors that they are using are not doing the job for them? Is that so what you're So they're hearing? not using any sensors. So they'll buy something like this and then it won't work for them. Who's handling sales? Who's handling marketing? So that's me, <laughs> because I've been speaking with them for so long um, that I've developed a relationship with our customers already. That's good. That's um, good. So the question here is, how are you going to be able to scale? Have you identified a manufacturing partner? Um, and that's that's one of my biggest questions, the yeah, scalability. Definitely. And uh, that is a question I've been speaking uh, to a lot of people about and trying Good. to understand the numbers. So because our price per to produce it is around $100 and we sell it upwards of $1,000, um, we are going to be essentially hand assembling the first ones. The first 15, the first 20, the first 100? Uh, I would say in, in the magnitude of the first thousands. You're going to be hand assembling the first thousands. Yes. Yeah. So it takes. Okay. How uh, long does it take? Yeah, 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 yeah. So with uh, with the components, uh, if we've already tested all of the components and we know exactly what our comp components are, it takes about an hour to make one. Oh, wow. So it it's not very labor intensive. It's okay. and it requires um, a very basic knowledge of electrical engineering, but. I'm a biologist and I can do it. So, <laughs> so what's the defensibility then? Sorry, time. You just up. got cut off. I hate when that happens. Okay. Thank well, you very, very much. Good. Thank you so much. Congratulations.
Thanks, Catherine. And talk, talking bananas is totally a thing. Talking bananas, yeah? I'm telling you, my bananas, they're talking at night. I know it. You two are going to have to hash this out and pick a winner. Um, so we're going to shut your mics off and let you guys Don't chat for a little bit. Who do you think the winner is? Find out if you're right when we come back. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Three founders just pitched Jillian and Phil in front of a live audience at the University of Pennsylvania. The first was founder Jessica Sarkeesian with Rezio Learning, a soft skills training platform for students. Next, Munir Patak took the stage with his company, Swirl, a networking tool to bolster diversity and inclusion at companies. Finally, Catherine Sizov and her fruit biosensor startup, Strella, rounded out the pitches. Now, it's time for the investors to decide. Let's bring back in the founders. Let's give it up. Jessica, Manir, Catherine, here we are. All right, so before you announce the winner, do you guys have some feedback for each of these founders? We'll start with uh, the first company you saw, uh, which was Rezio and founder uh, Jessica. Well, first, I just want to say the three of you all did a great job, really. I mean, really good pitches. You knew your stuff, and it was a pleasure uh, listening to you and, and getting to know a little bit about you and, and the businesses. So thank you. Um, so starting with Jessica, I mean, I think first you're solving a real problem. And I think that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more of a problem, especially with like sort of mounting college costs, you know, increasing college costs. So I think no doubt you're solving a problem. I'm, I think both of us are a little bit con concerned about the, the, uh, the student adoption piece, right? And also the long path to proving value with the data sets, you know, in terms of four years plus and tracking. And, and so there's, there's a long cycle there, a long path before you can actually prove value. So the next is uh, Munir Patak and his startup Swirl. Any thoughts? No. Yes, no, no, we have thoughts. We do. We have thoughts. I was kidding. I joke. Um, so, so. You try. I try. Burn. So, you know, we always talk about the difference between a product and a service. Okay. Is there a standalone product or is this something that another company can add on as a service? Is it a feature? A feature. Or, that's yeah, right. Or a product, well, I call right. it a service, but you call it feature. Yeah. Yes. Is it a feature or a product? And so that's really a, a little bit in my 
my quandary here is I'm not quite sure. All right. Thoughts, feedback on the last pitch we heard, uh, which was from Catherine Sizov with Strella. So the, the concerns are, uh, you know, firstly, a lot of competition, right? Um, and uh, Julian knows a lot about this space, obviously. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> She's some kind of an apple whisperer. And I don't know. I love that. I'll get a tattoo made for you. Put that on your T-shirt or something. So, yeah. Uh, but okay. but there, you know, and and I take take you at your word that what you've developed is superior to competitors' products. But there is a lot of competition, and also as as we mentioned, you know, look, you, you sound like a very very bright biologist, and I'm sure that since you've developed sales or developed relationships with the packers you're probably able to, to do the sales, but I'm not suggesting you need a co-founder with sales experience because you have some of that now, but bring someone on who has sales experience. Now it's the moment of truth. Will one of you announce the winner? And the winner is... That's what I'm looking for. Catherine from Strella Biotech. Well done. Congratulations. Yes. How do you feel? I feel awesome. Just awesome. I got to work on pronouncing Strella better so that there's no confusion at the beginning. Or renaming <laughs> the company. Or, here's or a, renaming here's the company. Here's a pro tip. You don't like Strella? Don't diss the investors at the beginning of your pitch. <laughs> Just a little tip and from me to you. That's a freebie. Here's the other tip. That if you can't... It, your, t your name of your company should be easy to spell, easy to remember, easy to pronounce, preferably easy to translate into another language, and has a personality trait. Impossible. Can't be done. All right. Work so, on the name. Congrats again, easy Catherine. Spell, Thank you so much. Um, and thank you to all three of our founders for coming out. Jessica, Muneer, Catherine, you all thank were great. You guys. We wish you all the very best. Let's have a round of applause for our investors, Phil Nadell and Jillian, the Apple Whisperer. Go That's it for our live show from the University of Pennsylvania. And we're going to have more shows like this coming up in 2019, so stay tuned. There might be one near you. Our show is produced by me, Josh Muccio, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Blythe Durrell. We're mixed by Enoch Kim, original music composed by The Musemaker. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And a very special thanks to the whole team at Wharton, Emily Hemming, Tracy Snyder, Wayne Davis, Claire Lineweber, Taylor Durham, and Ethan Mollick. Thank you for hosting a fantastic event and show. A quick disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. This has been The Pitch from Gimlet Media. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday.
This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.